from their studio in the Feeding Arizona building in Youngtown, Arizona, it's the Boomer and the Babe Show with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Join Pete and Deborah and their guests as they give voice to 78 million baby boomers from coast to coast and border to border. Now here are the Boomer and the Babe, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. And welcome to the Boomer and the Babeless show. Deborah is working uh, on some projects with some of the authors that she works with and doing some of her publishing duties with regard to everything that we handle. So we uh, are going to have to kind of fend by ourselves uh, today. Uh, but we have a great guest, and I'm sure that uh, we're not going to have any problem uh, with conversation. Uh want to, again, welcome everybody to the Boomer and the Babe show. It's t- uh, it is... Wednesday, November 7th, 2012, the day after the election. I hope it was what you wanted, uh, whoever you might be or whatever person you were looking for. Uh, Regardless, they all have to work together now, and uh, let's see if they can do it. Uh, I'm Pete Peters, as I said, and we invite everybody to listen to Boomer and the Babe. uh, Take a look at boomerandthebabe.com, see everything else that we're involved in beyond doing this radio show Sign up for our email list, and you will be able to get our newsletter, Boomer Experience Speaks, on a regular basis every four to six weeks. We come out with a new edition of that. Uh, My guest today is uh, a woman that has written a book called The Take Charge Patient. Uh, She has also written another book uh, called Critical Conditions. She is a patient's advocate. Her name is is Martine Aaronclue. Martine, welcome to the Boomer and the Babe Show. Well, thank you so much, Pete. It's a real pleasure to talk to you. Well, glad you're here. Uh, Before we get into our conversation for the day and uh, the need for patients' advocacy and many of the things that are involved with it, if you could give us a little bit of a... um, uh, a little bit of a thumbnail sketch or a, a two-minute movie, if you will, as far as uh, what you've been doing prior to your interest in patients' advocacy and what might your background be. Okay. Um, for most of my adult life, I've been a professional writer and ghostwriter. I was in public relations. And in 2001, my career path changed. My mother went into a hospital in another state for five months and passed away there. And shortly thereafter, my godmother, who I was very close to, um, was admitted into a hospital for seven months and passed away there. And what I experienced with their care um, drove me to find out if other families were dealing with um, patient care as I was. And I interviewed... um, 50 families, and then interviewed over 175 physicians, nurses, hospital staff, and patients, and decided that I needed to, and did hundreds of hours of research, and decided I needed to create, to write a book that would give information to loved ones, family members, on how to advocate for a hospitalized loved one. And that was my first book, Critical Conditions. And then I realized a need for another book, um, about how to be an effective advocate for oneself to get the best medical care called the Take Charge Patient, how you can get the best medical care, and that came out a few months ago. And that's about, go ahead. I was just going to say I've just been very passionate about it. Um, I've been doing a lot of media interviews, and I write articles for newspapers and magazines, and uh, very passionate about patient advocacy, patient safety, patient engagement, and the whole patient-centered care movement. 
Well, it, it's certainly something that everybody that has either been a patient or has uh, a loved one that has been a patient uh, sees it, it or the lack of it. It's it's right in front of your nose uh, with regard to. Um, I, 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 let me let me just go here with this, and then, and then you can tell me whether or not you agree with it. My mother was in the hospital. She uh, after my soon after my father died, she had a stroke. She she was in ICU, um, and the the nurses and the doctors had a language all their own. Um, I understand that. Uh, I, I'm fully aware of why that is. But we were just sitting there almost uh, as a bystander watching a movie. And right. Watch, watching the movie, watching right. the pl- plot of the movie as it developed. And the, and we didn't know if it was going to have a happy ending or not. And finally we found a nurse, just a nurse, a critical care nurse that was just phenomenal. And uh, she helped us uh, with, finding out and making sure that we knew exactly what was going on at all times so we were somewhat more educated now and also uh, advocating for what it was that my mother wanted because she was unable to to talk. Right. Uh, I think that's probably a standard. Is What do you think? Oh, I definitely think so. Um, that was actually very similar to my first experience in the hospital. When my mom was put in a hospital in another state, I'd never been in a hospital before except to give birth to our daughter. So I knew, just like you and your family members, I knew nothing about how to navigate the hospital, how to reach the doctors, how what my role was in her care. And just like your experience, there was one nurse who helped to educate me. And I, when I interviewed, after those experiences, when I interviewed all these families, they all felt the same way, just as you described, that when you have a loved one going to the hospital, how do you know how, who to be interacting with and who to be asking for pain medication for? For example, my spouse or my mother is in pain, and do you just ask anybody? Because staff, you know, they all dress alike and look alike in their uniforms. And I found out that it's the primary nurse only who you can make those requests of. So, you know, like those type of needs for patients, it's very difficult for family members um, to know what to do. And certainly a hospitalized patient cannot advocate for themselves. So it's very important that a loved one is involved. And the nurses are just wonderful in providing information, and family members can offer to help as well. And they they encourage family members help. By the way, yes. now, nowadays, I mean, because it it certainly takes the load off them because they are terribly overburdened with reports, reports. Yes, reports. charting. Uh, <laughs> unbelievable. You got you uh, got a feel for them, you know. <laughs> well, you do, you do. But there's a there's another thing. There's a there's a protocol in the hospitals, and doctors' offices. Uh, and the protocol is not to be broached. Uh, it's it's a hierarchy, and um, you've got to be able, to, as a patient or as a, your own advocate or as somebody else's advocate, you've got to be able to to break that uh, <coughs> break that uh, that seal, if you will, so you can get past all this protocol and get right to the heat uh, the heat or the heart of the matter. Right. Uh, what what uh, what do you recognize or suggest with regard to that type of thing? 
Well, I think the primary thing to remember is to be fully involved in your care. Um, but when you first approach, let's say, a doctor's office, whoever is the scheduler or if you're approaching the physician, it's important to establish a personal relationship with that person. For example, if you've called up and asked for an appointment to see the doctor and they say, well, we don't have anything for a month. Okay, so the first point that you want to remember is try to get that scheduler to remember your name. So tell her your situation, that you're desperate to get in to see the doctor and why, and make sure that that person remembers your name, but also ask to be put on a cancellation list. And then call back every few days, remind that scheduler who you are, that why you're getting in to see the physician. And more than likely, you will be called for a cancellation. But personal relationships with the staff and the physician are very important because if you can humanize yourself as a patient, then the medical provider can start interacting with you as a human being and you begin the all-important relationship with that physician. I mean, that's just one basic place to start from. Well, yeah, it's it's got to be, because I know when Deborah's mother was ill before she passed and she would be going to the doctor uh, on a somewhat regular basis, certainly whenever Deborah was in Arkansas to go to see her, uh, she would be making sure that all her doctor's appointments were taken care of. And uh, Deborah would say to her mother, now get a nice, get some nice clothes on and do your makeup. And she says, well, I'm just going to the doctor. She says, because you want to show somebody that you, you want to show the doctor that you are somebody. Yes, exactly. Yes. You want to be seen as a credible patient. And there are a number of strategies to be seen as a credible patient and to show the physician that you're involved in your care. And one of the things that I do recommend is that you dress nicely. I mean, you would not go to your accountant's office or an attorney's office without coming prepared uh, with information. So you want to go to the physician's office, and before you go, you want to create a list of questions for that physician. And you can handwrite that on a piece of paper or put it in your smartphone or electronic or other electronic device and make sure you have a way to write down the answers, either in the office visit or right after. And you want to prepare not just a list of questions but a short health summary about what's been happening with you physically that either brings you into the office or what's been happening with you physically since you've last seen that physician. So if you show that you're involved in your care and, I mean, it's so easy for patients to, you get involved in a conversation with the physician and you get sidetracked and it's, a, it's stressful going to see a physician and it happens so often that people, and myself included, you can leave the office and forget some of your most important points. So you want to make sure that you write down your top three medical concerns and you can refer back to your questions and medical concerns. Well, I, that's absolutely true, and I, I know when I, I – there, this, our conversation today is going to sound like our family is nothing but a, a, a bunch of people that are sick all the time, which is not, <laughs> not at all the case. But but there have been instances. I mean, my father died of uh, complications of Alzheimer's and dementia. Uh, uh, so I mean that that tells you something right there as far as some of the things that we were probably facing. Right. Then my then after he passed three months later, my mother had a stroke. Uh, and that tells you a little something right there. And then I've got some kidney issues, and I had to go in and have uh, a, a, a navel hernia repaired, and 
it turned it in turned into the fact that I had uh, a post operative infection, and I was back in the hospital for a week. Okay. Uh, so, but any but the point is the point in saying that is there have been just these are normal things that go on with a normal family, and uh, no but no chronic illness. I mean, my kidney issues now are different, but uh, none of my parents, my sister, uh, myself have had any for the most part, any chronic diseases whatsoever. Um, and, you know, you, you go to the doctor because you're afraid you may have broken your ankle and it turned out to be a bad sprain when you were a kid. Uh, and, and that's about it. So, there, therefore, you don't have a lot of, um, you don't have a lot of experience in this area, do you? The right, most, right. most people don't. Right, they're, right. They're, they're, they're shooting in the dark. When they when they go in there and they yeah, don't yeah. know what they don't know what to ask and they don't know what to look for and they don't know what to expect and they're scared. Of course, everybody is scared going in to see a medical provider. I mean, we're nervous about our you know possible met our medical concerns. We're nervous about our symptoms. We're in an unfamiliar environment, and we're asked to take off our clothes, put aside our cell phone, our wallets and basically our identity and you know the environment in a doctor's office is not exactly designed for patients and if you think about it everybody is a patient whether it's a serious medical condition or illness or simply you are going for your yearly physical or you know a flu or or anything that's very simple we don't really know how to navigate that whole system and if you go to my website i have free downloads of sample questions to ask doctors, sample questions to ask yourself before you meet with a doctor, sample questions to ask about if you're going to have a surgery procedure, there's patient safety checklists, there's a lot of free information on there that you can access. So let's let's go back to some, some basics here. First of all, how do you even choose the best doctor for yourself? Well, you can start with one good doctor that you either know, respect, have confidence in, and generally good doctors will refer to other doctors. But it's also important to ask family members, friends, and colleagues and see which names come up more than once. And those are the doctors that you want to be focusing on. Some doctors that I interviewed for the Take Charge patient suggested that you can go or call your local emergency room and ask to speak to one of the RNs there because the RNs see the doctors in action. They see which doctors are responding to the pages and which doctors are seeing patients in the hospital. I thought that was an interesting suggestion. And then once you have a collection of, let's say, three names that you've heard over and over, you do a little research ahead of time. And if you're Internet savvy, you can go to their website or look them up on the American Medical Association or Health Grades. Um, There's various websites you can go to to look up to find out if a doctor's board certifies in his or her specialty, what kind of publication or, you know, research papers they've had published, and, you know, what kind of a doctor they are, where they went to medical school, how many years they've been in practice. But if you're not Internet savvy, you can simply call up the office, speak to the person who answers the phone, and ask for the physician's CV. Very simple. Mm -hmm. So when you go in to first meet a physician, it's important to be prepared with, you know, questions that you want to ask that physician about and think about ahead of time, what do I want out of this 
relationship? Is this going to be for the rest of my life, or am I thinking about possibly, you know, I might be changing jobs, so I might lose that insurance, so it may not cover that particular physician? You need to think about those things and think about what kind of a relationship you want. What kind of a doctor do you want? Do you want someone who's just, you know, matter of fact, and you know he or she is a good physician and gets the point, or do you need to be interactive with that physician, and do you need a doctor who listens? Now, of course, I advocate for patients being really involved in their care and finding a doctor who's a good communicator and respects you and listens to you. Speaking of that, that brings that that reminds me of um, of someone that I had on this uh, on this show before. It was about similarly how to get some of the best medical care. And what this gentleman advocated was that before you go in for surgery, that you write down almost a prayer. Uh, it's like my hope, I, or, or my. It's, it's, it's kind of self-talk. He was saying, and he's saying, I, 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 I'm sure that my physician will be guided and make the right incision, the right size incision, and not make any unnecessary cuts. I'm sure that the anesthesiologist will make sure that I am fully anesthetized, but yet not overly anesthetized, so that I will feel no pain and have comfort and be comfortable when I come out of surgery. And you have this information, and you read that aloud in the presence of the physician and the anesthetist, and you're putting them on notice. I like and that I, idea. I I did, too. And I'm sitting there going, and this was just before I was going in for this surgery, and it's just coincidental. And I went in, and I, and I didn't have anything written down, but I kind of ad-libbed it, you know, and I said, now, this is what I think you're going to do, and I'm expecting you to do this, this, and this. Uh, am I accurate in my uh, in, in my expectations? Oh yes, oh yes, Pete, you're. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. I love that. <laughs> and and I did the same thing when the anesthetist came in. <laughs> I did the same basic thing with him. I said, now listen, here's what I don't want you to do. You know that cord that runs across the floor and it's got the oxygen in it. Don't step on it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure you got a laugh. <laughs> well, I did. But he was on notice, <laughs> right? Yes. But also, but if you're about, if you are considering surgery, doing a little research ahead of time is really important. And asking questions about, you know, of the surgeon, what is this surgery going to do for me? What are the risks of this surgeon of this surgery? And also, how many surgeries has this particular surgeon done on your specific condition? Right, right. I mean, I, I don't. Uh, there, there was one other. There's one other time I went in. I went in for a surgery to have a lymph node uh, extracted, and uh, the surgeon walked in and said, um, "Now this was the uh, castration, right?" And this, this guy was a, this guy was a character, and I said, uh, "As a matter of fact, no. You've you've got that wrong." And he says, "Oh, you're Pete." I said, "Yes, that's right." <laughs> and I said, "And and and he was he was a black man." Uh-huh. And I said, "You know, I don't normally let a black man come as close to me as you're going to be with a knife." And uh, and he almost fell right off his seat. I mean, I'm he was, sure he did. He was hilarious because I gave it back to him the same way he gave it to me. Right. And and years later, I had occasion to have some other little minor thing done and. And he was the guy, and I went to him without any quibble and qualm whatsoever. 
And it was all had to do with the way he handled my situation and the way we could interact. Right. And how do you find out and what do you say or what? how far can you do you think you can go with some of these doctors to see exactly where they are in the grand scheme of things? As far as well as what kind as, of communicators they are. Yeah, exactly. What you know, what you know, you you want them to be serious. You want them to take you seriously, but yet by the same token, you want everybody to be. At least I do. I want everybody to be uh, at ease and uh, understand that we're all working to the same end here. Well, I think it boils down to when you first meet with a physician. Um, having a conversation with that physician and listening to your gut feeling Mm -hmm. and do you feel comfortable with that physician or is that physician talking down to you or dismissing you in some way? There was a a patient, um, an advocate for her mom that I interviewed and she told me about taking her mom to the doctor and every single time that doctor did not address her mom and was so focused on taking notes on his iPad or, you know, dictating into his microcassette recorder. And the impression was given to the patient that his time was much more important than the patient. So that kind of thing you want to stay away from. But if you have a physician who's at least establishing eye contact with you on a regular basis, even if they're taking notes on their laptop or iPad or whatever it is, but keeping reestablishing and listening to you and allowing you to tell your story without redirecting the conversation within, you know, 10, 20 seconds and see how you feel with that person. Is that physician listening to you? Are they communicating well with you? Are you able to hear and understand what this physician is saying to you? Because communication is really important in the quality of care and also in preventing medical errors. Talk to me about medical errors and medication errors. How how can you uh, prevent uh, those types of things, particularly medication? You know, medication errors cause harm to 1.5 million people every year. That's according to the Institute of Medicine. And really, medication errors are the easiest to prevent. And it takes some changing of our attitudes, you know, about who's responsible for what with medications. But it's pretty simple. Just if you get a prescription for a medication, ask the physician what is the medication name and the dosage, and understanding what you're taking that medication for, how long you're going to be taking it for. And when you go get that prescription filled, making sure that you're actually getting the medication and the dosage that that doctor prescribed for you. So it's really about taking some responsibility for the medications that you're on. It can get a little confusing when it comes to generics versus brand. I interviewed a physician who told me about a patient, and he had put her on the generic a generic form of a blood pressure medication and referred her to a specialist for a condition. She goes to see the specialist, and the specialist takes her blood pressure. It's high, and he gives her samples of the same medication, which samples are brand. So she ends up taking brand medication and generic medication of the same medication. So she's on double the dose. Oh. So it can happen so easily. 
So it's important to know the brand name and the generic name and to create a list of medications for yourself, including their dosages and your over-the-counter medications, your herbs and your supplements, and include your allergies to medications. So if you have this, what I have is a little medical ID card, which is under the free downloads on my website, and I downloaded that and I wrote out and folded it over and put it right next to my driver's license in the slot in my wallet. But I also have an app on my iPhone that has my list of medications. So the hard copy that I've written out is backup for the iPhone app. You know, however you want to do it, it's super important, no matter what physician you go to see, that you present them with a list of medications. Or if you end up in the hospital, they're going to want to know what medications you're on and also allergies to medications. But let's say you're ordering from an online pharmacy. And maybe one, you're getting, you know, automatic refills on a regular medication you're on. Sometimes you can receive medications that are, let's say you're taking pills that are different color, different shapes. Well, is that because the online pharmacy is now using a different company for the generic medication, or is it a mistake? You have to ask. Pay attention. It's not about just saying I'm on the pink pill or the blue pill. It's about that I'm on, for example, Synthroid 100 MCGs one time a day. And if you have questions, you can call your online pharmacy or bring the medication down to your pharmacist. Or if you're getting medication from a local pharmacy, asking questions. If anything looks unusual or different, just ask questions. That's what the pharmacist is there for. I have found uh, in dealing with my medications and picking up medications for my mother now and my father when he was uh, when he was alive and uh, Deborah because I'm the one that goes to the pharmacy all the time for the right. whole family. I have found that the pharmacist is a wealth of knowledge. Yes, you are so right. Absolute wealth of knowledge. We had a dog that was at that was uh, under some medical care from the veterinarian, and we had the prescriptions for the dog filled at the pharmacy because they were less expensive at the pharmacy than they were for the veterinarian. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> and, and they had and they have a file for the dog who's now deceased, but they have a, had a file for the dog. Right. Chutney Peters, and, and who the heck is Chutney Peters? It was our dog. <laughs> And uh, but nonetheless, they had uh, the medication there. And when I said, "What does this do exactly? How does it work?" and so on and so forth, he was giving me reference to things that the, how the dog was going to react and what right. the dog what the dog was going to be getting. So I mean, they do have uh, they're just a, a font of knowledge, aren't they? They sure, are, and that's what they're there for. And if you can use one pharmacy, I know that's hard for a lot of us to do because it's convenient to stop at a different pharmacy on the way home from wherever. But if you use one pharmacy, that pharmacy can check for if they have all your you know, medications that you get filled there, they can check for drug interactions and allergies right. to medications and alert you. 
Right. Well, I do use one pharmacy. I use one pharmacy for everybody uh, in the family, and it's they walk in. I'm, even if I'm in there shopping for something else, it's I walk by and say hi to them. They say hi to me. I mean, they know they know who I am. Uh, so anytime I have a question of any sort with regard to uh, medication, they are there to help me. Even if it's where can I find the whatever for over the counter for my right. <laughs> for my sinuses or whatever the case. Right. <laughs> and uh, and and they will tell you, and that's a nice thing too. They will once they know you and they know what you're taking. Uh, if they're really on their game, which these folks fortunately are for me, I say I I need to take. Uh, something for nasal congestion, and they say, you know, you may not want to take that because that will interact with what you're taking over here. Yes, exactly. And they have that information, and um, they can recommend something else or suggest that I don't take anything at all or contact my physician for my need. Right. And it's just absolutely unbelievable. So, therefore, uh, just another form of advocacy there, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, that's what they're trained in. And, you know, sometimes pharmacists know more about medications than physicians do. And I ask, I personally use my pharmacist um, for everything in regards to medications. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I ask questions. I ask for advice. Would it be better to take this or that or does this interact? I mean, just what you were saying, it's the same situation for me. And also because I know my pharmacist, um, there's an, or there's a relationship established there. That's important too. It, it is, and and it's nice, nice when you have that relationship. I mean, there's, uh, I'm, I, I mean, I'll just tell you right out. I go to Target to the Target pharmacy, and there's uh, there's several of them behind the counter, and they all know me, and any one of them can give me the information I need. Right. Uh, including the pharmacy techs, uh, who are, are very well trained or in training to become full blown pharmacists. Uh, let's get a little bit back to uh, your experience with a need for your being your own advocate. Uh, at the, on the back of your book, it indicates that you had some debilitating chronic pain, and you used every strategy in this book. Uh, uh, you went on to advocate for others and so on and so forth, but how did you become your own take-charge patient? You know, it was so ironic. I was had finished with the 200 interviews that I did for the book um, with physicians, nurses, and other medical professionals and patients. And I had the outline done for the book, and it actually told a friend of mine that I thought I could have the first draft done within six months. Well, I developed a severe chronic pain condition that lasted 16 months, and I saw 11 doctors of differing specialties, three alternative medicine practitioners, I was went through 15 procedures and tests and was prescribed 22 medications, and I received 10 misdiagnoses. And in the end, I found my own diagnosis through a New York Times article that talked about hidden hernias in women, especially when there's nerve involvement, very different than hernias in men. And um, luckily for me, the surgeon and hernia specialist was at a teaching hospital here in Los Angeles, and she did all the necessary tests and um, found out that I did have hernias with nerves passing through the holes. And she did three-hour surgery, and I've been pain-free for about a year and a half. But the ironic thing was is that I ended up seriously living each chapter of my book. 
I ended up testing out strategies. I ended up changing how I behaved with medical professionals according to what I had learned and written about in the book. Um, I dealt with my medical providers in much more of a business manner. I wanted to be seen as a credible patient, so I came prepared with my patient's toolkit. Um, I had prepared list of questions. I had everything with me. So they would regard me as a credible patient, and there would be mutual respect created. So in the end, I got incredibly lucky. Very good. Very nice. Uh, I want to come back after we do a few commercials here. Um, I, you mentioned the patient's toolkit. I think I know what you might be talking about. It's probably available on your website, correct? There's information about it, yes. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's come back and we'll talk about your patient's toolkit uh, right after we have these few messages. Boomer the Babe are the publishers of Boomer Series Books. Our authors have their own shows on the Boomer and the Babe Network. We encourage you to listen. Ron Naraki, author of the forthcoming book, The Ten Commandments of Investing, is the host of Wealth DNA, a financial show about real estate investment. Learn how to build and manage your portfolio. Ron hosts the show, and he always has good information to pass along, as do his guests. Listen to Wealth DNA on the second and fourth Monday of the month at 8 a.m. Arizona time. Tom Liggering's another Boomer Series author. His book, Success or Failure, The Choice is Yours, is the basis of the show he does with his broadcast partner, Dr. Terry Munther. Listen to Success or Failure with Tom and Terry on the fourth Wednesday of every month at 9 a.m. Arizona time. Learn how you can maximize your performance in business and in life. The methods you employ can either help or hinder. The choice is yours. Before you book your next round of golf in Arizona, go see what golfers just like you are saying about the courses you want to play at GolfMix.com. While you're there, write a review of the last course you played and get $10 off your next purchase at Vans Golf Shops and enter into our Greenskeeper of the Year contest for a chance to win a foursome at the home of the Waste Management Phoenix Open, the stadium course at TPC Scottsdale. So check out Golf Mix, Arizona's leading golf course review site and mobile app. What are you waiting for? at golfmix.com. The Boomer and the Babe are proud to be affiliated with Valley View Community Food Bank, where the food is always free. Valley View is now serving Phoenix from their new 36,000-square-foot location at West Peoria and 107th Avenue in Sun City, Arizona. The new location houses the Food Bank, Feeding Arizona, and the Valley View Thrift Store. Feeding Arizona delivers food to other food banks and food pantries that are in need. If you're looking for a 501c3 to support, go to valleyviewcommunityfoodbank.com. All donations are welcome, be it food, money, or volunteer hours. No donation is too small. Get a hold of Jesse Ramirez, founder and director, and say, I want to help. Valley View Community Food Bank, where the food is always free. And we are back. We're talking with Martine Aaron Clue, author of the book, The Take Charge Patient, 
how you can get the best medical care. And Martine, uh, we alluded to your patient's toolkit uh, before we went out to break, and I and chapter three is the take tar- take charge patient's toolkit. So why don't you give us a little bit of a thumbnail sketch on what that really is? Okay. Um, the goal of it of the the toolkit is that you don't have to lasso your medical information from other sources or ask your uh, medical provider to do that at a time when you may not be able to or you don't have the time to do it. So if you can get copies of, let's say you're about to see a physician for a current medical condition, any other physicians or that you've seen or tests that you've had, such as an MRI, CT scan, or blood work, you want to have copies of those tests, and you put them in a health file at home and bring any necessary copies with you. But also part of the toolkit is a brief health summary that I mentioned earlier about symptoms you've been having or how you've been feeling since the last time you saw this physician or to update a physician that you've never seen before. And you'll also include your current list of medications and their dosages, over-the-counter medications, herbs and supplements, and allergies to medications. And you'll also create a brief health history for yourself. So if you go see a new doctor, that doctor will know that you've had X surgery in X year or uh, X procedure in what year and which doctor did it. I mean, it's pretty simple to run through a health health history for yourself. So when you go to the doctor, you can present a full picture for that physician without that physician saying, well, um, did you ever have a colonoscopy and you think back, gee, I think I might have had it, but I don't remember what year. You have it all right there. That saves time. And with many physicians who are taking insurance, they have 7 to 15 minutes with you. Also in the patient's patient's toolkit, let's say you have a a medical condition or an illness that hasn't been diagnosed yet. You'll want to keep a medical journal for yourself with your symptoms and when those symptoms occur, what makes them worse or better, maybe what you've tried to better those symptoms. So when the doctor's asking you questions such as, when do they get worse, and is it in the middle of the night, or when did this? When did the symptoms start? You will have it in your medical journal, and you'll be prepared, which saves time and also makes for much more effective interaction and, and conversation with the doctor. So your toolkit allows you to go get medical care anywhere without having holes in your history. I, I interviewed a physician who had a patient and... She even had her son come with her as her advocate, and the physician said to the patient, did you know that you have high blood pressure? And the patient said, yes, I did. And the physician asked, well, what are you taking for it? And the patient didn't know. The son didn't know. And she had no medical records at all. So the office visit was pretty much wasted because there were so many gaps in information. So as Take Charge patients, we want to prevent that. And just an initial effort, you know, right in the beginning, just to put all that together. You can forget about it, you know, put it in a file at home until you need it. That that's uh, all very good information. And I'm as I'm looking at the book here, there are all kinds of patient safety checklists and sample questions for yourself and your doctor in the book. And uh, it they're all just 
just excellent. There are a couple of things that uh, that I want to make sure that we we touch base on in Chapter Nine. The doctor will see you now, uh, and you need. It says here the the subhead is the quote is from the doctor. I think that you probably interviewed in this. Uh, you know your uh, know your primary concern. If you have chest pain, bring it up first. Yes. So uh, what? Uh, oh, so in other words, when you're going in to see the doctor, if you're going in for a general annual examination, that's one thing. But if you're going in for a reason or a couple of reasons, there's probably going to be one that's going to be a higher priority with you. Make sure you tell them. And tell them right off the bat. It's so easy, as I said before, to get sidetracked or, you know, we're stressed because we're in a, a doctor's office and, you know, stress interferes with our memory. It's important to remember, I mean, write it down for yourself. I mean, I do because I don't want to forget. I mean, they even have a, you know, a label for it called uh, the doorknob syndrome when the patient you know, the physician is about to leave the exam room and is finished with the um, office appointment, and the patient says, I forgot to tell you, I've had chest pain and pain going down my arm. Well, then that physician is forced to return and, you know, discuss with you what's going on and then is late for the next the next patient. Very important to get the most important complaint out first. Uh, yes, I think that's probably a good idea, especially if you've got that pain going down your arm. Uh, <laughs> oh, I thought I'd just waltz in here and talk to you about my hangnail. Oh, by the way, uh, I do have some pain in my chest, and it's radiating down my arm. Uh, <laughs> you, know, a lot of, you know, when patients are referred to a specialist or some other medical provider, Sometimes we forget to ask why are why are you referring me to this other physician or medical provider? It's important mm-hmm. to ask. I mean, the number of specialists that I interviewed who said patients come to see me and they don't know why they're there. Now, I understand that because you know we get stressed out in a doctor's office and the doctor is rushing to get out the door because they're late for the next patient, and they say they want you to see Doctor So and So, and then you don't have a chance to ask why, so you just go. Well, it's important to know why you're going. Exactly. Well, I, I will say I, I have a doctor that I see on a regular basis, and uh, he's always spends time with me. Deborah comes with me from time to time. We enjoy. He uh, he he's done very well by me. With oh, that's doctor. great. And we're very very pleased to have him as my as my specialist in this area, and uh, he spends the time with us. He'll talk with us all the time. He's working in his and, and putting things into his uh, his laptop. Uh-huh. But we're we're having having conversation, and but here's the other side of that coin. When we're done, he's asked all the right questions. I've asked, hopefully, asked the right questions. Deborah's asked the right questions. We've made the right comments or whatever. And when he walks out the door, he's done with me. Right. He's on, he's on to the next one. Regardless of how long he was in there, it was as thorough as, as it was going to be, and he's on his way out. His his mind is with the next patient and looking him up on the laptop. Right. And, and that is just the nature of healthcare today. I think. I, I don't. I don't know that there's uh, anything else you, that can be said about it. I, and, I agree with you. With with as complex and harried as healthcare has become, you know it's. Doctors are seeing too many patients in too little time, 
and they're dealing with massive amounts of paperwork demanded by health insurance companies. You know, they're rushing from, you know, office appointments, seeing patients like you and I, to seeing patients in hospitals. They're fielding calls from other doctors who are seeing their patients. You know, it's I just have interviewed so many who are dealing with complete overwhelm. Well, it's 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 amazing, uh, but when you, if you liken it to other uh, professions or other jobs, uh, there is a situation at a restaurant where it's turn the table, turn the table, turn the table, because more tables you turn, the more money you make. Uh, if you liken it to an automotive repair shop, it's clear the bay, clear the bay, clear the bay, because the next right. sooner, I, the sooner I can get another car in there, I can make more money with the, the, that car is the patient. That, right. ta- that customer at the table, that's the patient. And if you start likening it to that, and if you're getting short shrift, if you will, uh, if you feel like you're getting it at the mechanic shop and you speak up, you think you're not getting the best service at the restaurant and you speak up, why wouldn't you do it with your doctor? That's exactly right. To make the most of those precious minutes with the physician, you come prepared, you ask questions, and you're involved in your health care. And you're involved and you understand, let's say, your diagnosis or a proposed treatment plan. You're asking for information so you become informed. And there's so many patients ask me, how can I possibly, you know, ask the doctor all these questions? I'm afraid to take up too much of their time. The doctor's always rushed. Well, it's really important that you are informed. It's important that you understand what the doctor is proposing to treat you. There's a a nurse I interviewed that told me about a patient who had end-stage liver disease, and he was admitted into the hospital for evaluation and a liver transplant. Well, the night nurse, the one I interviewed, came on and started talking to the patient and realized the patient did not understand what the liver transplant meant, plus the very rigid aftercare that was lifelong. Um, she informed the patient and downloaded information off the hospital website, and that patient decided not to go ahead with the evaluation and the liver transplant. So we need to understand before any of that happens. Well, you do. You need to understand the consequences of your action and anything you do in, in life, and you certainly need to understand the consequences of what you're doing with your medical care. Right. Absolutely, no doubt about it. Um, there's another th- interesting uh, little tidbit that I saw in in the book, and that was uh, I'm, I'm doing this from memory now. It said something to the effect of uh, "Be nice to my staff; they are my eyes and ears." Yes. Something along those lines. Uh, uh, what What do you? And it's pretty much self-explanatory. But do you have any examples of uh, how that really benefits somebody? Well. Being nice to the doctor's staff is really important because you're going to be using and needing those people in the future. So, for example, let's say they're not offering you a you know soon enough doctor's appointment, or maybe somebody's rushed on the phone, and you know whatever happens, it's easy for us to get irritated or annoyed. But if you can possibly suppress that reaction, it'll be better. If you can establish a friendly relationship with that person, they're more apt to go the extra mile for you in the future. For example, 
it's a Friday afternoon and you've run out of your blood pressure medication and you have no refills. Well, it's a pain in the neck to call for the office staff um, to call them on a late Friday afternoon to get a refill. If you already have a good relationship or at least just a friendly personal relationship with any of the doctor's staff that you can talk to, they're much more apt to go the extra mile for you. I can tell you so many doctors and pharmacists and other medical providers said, it's the nice ones that I remember. It's the nice ones that I end up going the extra mile for. And when you have a need, let's say you have to get um, something done quickly, be nice to that doctor's staff, and they'll be more apt to do it for you in the future. And word gets around. If you're an unpleasant or belligerent patient, word gets around. And the same goes for the doctor on call. Let's say that, you know, a doctor is covering for the doctor that you are calling on call. You have a urgent problem. And maybe that doctor is delayed in getting back to you or whatever it is. If you are belligerent, nasty, or whatever to that doctor on call, it gets back to your doctor. So you have to be diplomatic when dealing with medical providers. Uh, that I know uh, on a first-hand basis. Um, uh, I have, a, I, again, the same situation. The, the staff that's there uh, is, is phenomenal. Um, the, the assistant comes in to take my blood pressure, get my weight, and uh, all those things before the doctor comes in. We have a nice little conversation, uh, you know. Uh, it's it's it makes it makes for a couple of things as as far as I can see. It helps me relax, mm-hmm. and my blood pressure is probably going to be five points lower because I'm I'm always nervous when I go there. No matter how much I think this guy's a great doctor, I'm always nervous. I'm afraid he's going to find something else. <laughs> we uh, all are. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, but I mean, when he says, he says, well, your blood pressure's a little high today. I said, yeah. I said, I didn't get along with Gladys when she was in here. And I'm just teasing him, you know, and she, <laughs> and, and they both know it. But, uh, but, but the fact is, uh, you're, 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 you're always tense when you go. Even if you know that it's routine and that everything is going well. If you're being treated on a regular basis for anything or being examined, examined on a re- regular basis for anything, there's always a chance that something's going to be found. Right. A- and that's why you go. So, you, so And so, therefore, your your anxiety levels are a little higher. And if you can do anything to make sure that your anxiety levels are as low as possible, including getting along with the staff, it can't do anything but help you. That's really true. And you bring up an important point that, We're all stressed when we go see a doctor. And, you know, it's not an easy relationship for for everybody because they have degrees, training, experience that we don't have, and it's in their control to help us. So it puts us in an uncomfortable position, let's say, if something isn't done very quickly or something was done inaccurately and we're needing them. It's, It's difficult. But as you said, if you can do whatever you can to help yourself relax, and that includes maybe even bringing somebody along with you right. to provide support, which may help you relax. Sure, absolutely. Uh, and, and the bottom line is when it gets right down to it and it gets down to the uh, the end of the conversation, the end of the, res- uh, the results of the, um, of the examination or the visit, they are still the ones that have 
the most information and yes. the, most, the most knowledge. And you can read up on it. You can check it out on the Internet. You can do whatever, whatever, whatever. But they are the ones, really, that they are the – it comes down to they are the ones that are in control. You have the right to say yes or no, but you have to make sure that one of the things that you're controlling is getting all the information you can get. Exactly. And to remember, just as you said, that they are the experts. I mean, I've interviewed physicians who told me about patients who came in and thought they were the experts and came in and told the the doctor that this is the diagnosis I have and I think I need X medication for it. That doesn't go over well with physicians. I mean, you can be an informed patient, you can be a take-charge patient, but you still have to go in remembering that the doctor is the expert. Well, a lot of that, I think, comes from the television commercials. Ask, be sure to ask your physician about XYZ drug. <laughs> yes, that's right. And after they give you this long list of disclaimer about how it can kill you, be sure, <laughs> be sure, be sure and ask your physician if this is right for you. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> if my physician thought it was right for me, he'd have given it to me already. <laughs> right. I mean, I would hope so, anyhow. Well... Uh, you can always research it and ask if it's appropriate, um, but not before maybe the doctor is giving you the diagnosis and possible treatment plans and, you know, all that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. Sometimes we suffer from an, uh, from too much knowledge. Yes, uh, it is true. That, that's received from the wrong source, especially. Yes, speaking of which, <laughs> when people research on the Internet, it's so important to go to credible websites when, if you're going to research on the Internet. I mean, Googling your symptoms, I mean, I have to confess I've done it myself, but anybody can put a health medical website up on the Internet, and you don't know who they are. And people report, you know, all sorts of information, and you can come across scary information that will scare you for, for no reason at all. And credible websites are such as government websites um, such as the NIH or healthcare.gov um, or medical society, medical academy websites or disease websites or medical school websites, websites that end in .edu, .org, and .gov. Well, it's amazing. Uh, when I was researching some of uh, the symptoms that I was uh, having not that long ago, I got on the I got onto the internet and I found that I should have died about eight years prior. Uh, <laughs> because because I had everything. Believe me, I had everything. My right. toenails my toenails were going to fall out. Yeah. Anything, <laughs> everything. Was gonna... And 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 we joke and we've been having some lighthearted moments about this, but this is dead serious. It really is dead serious. And. Uh, People need to realize and understand that they do have the final word and they should have themselves as well-informed as possible. And the best right. way to be well-informed is to be, be uh, to be well-prepared. Absolutely. The more you know, the more empowered you feel. Absolutely. That's absolutely the case. There's no doubt about that. Well, we're down here to the short rows, as they say in farm country. Um uh, <laughs> So I uh what I'd like to have you do Martine is is give us uh what we call your shameless self promotion. 
Okay. Tell us about how people can get your books, your website, anything that you okay. uh, that you have. Uh, if you do any counseling or anything like that along those lines, okay. uh, let everybody know. Now is your right. time. Uh, you can go to my website and you can buy my book, The Take Charge Patient, off the website if you like, and that's www.thetakechargepatient.com. Or you can go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's likely in your local bookstore. And like I said, there's free downloadable um, information off of the website. And I also do patient advocacy consulting, and I do that from you know for people all over the country. And you can contact me through um, the website. Um, the website has a lot of information on it, um, but for the book, you can pretty much go to any online retailer and uh, check in your local bookstore. Very good, very good. Well, thanks again, uh, uh, Martine, for being my guest today. I, I really appreciate it, and thanks for the book. I'm glad you sent me the book. It's uh, oh, absolutely, and thank you so much for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. It's, it's been my pleasure talking with you. It's been a very, uh, very, uh, very fast-paced hour, and uh, I'm glad we could spend it together. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. Well, have a great day. Have a uh, great week weekend over there in uh, in sunny Southern California, Los Angeles, correct? Los Angeles area. Yes, Los Angeles. All right, very good. Uh, so with that, I'll just say goodbye, and uh, I'm sure at some point in time we'll be uh, touching uh, touching base again. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a call after this show if you're going to be available. Uh, and uh, there's a couple of other things I wanted to mention to you off air, so we'll. Uh, We'll have that conversation just very briefly, if that's okay. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, and uh, we'll be talking to you very soon. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, be on the show today. Have a great oh, day. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Pete. Thanks so much. Take care now. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been uh, a conversation we had today with uh, Miss Martine Aaronclue, and she is the author of the book, The Take Charge Patient, how you can get the best medical care. Uh, she has got, gathered her information from over 200 interviews with health professionals and patients. Uh, she knows from whence she speaks. And if you have any health care considerations, please, by all means, uh, take a look at this book, get a hold of the book, and uh, she might be able to have some answers in there that can help you, better, help you have a better conversation with your physician. And you can get that at TakeChargePatient.com, TheTakeChargePatient.com, and uh, get the book from there. So have a great day, everybody. We hope you enjoyed the conversation today. I know I enjoyed talking to her, a very uh, informative and uh, enjoyable lady to speak with. So uh, we'll be back again tomorrow with some more programming. hope you can join us at that time. Have a great day, everybody. interesting conversations to the world. Be sure to follow us on Twitter where we tweet as Boomer and Babe and on Facebook as Pete Peters 47. As always, you can friend us on Blog Talk Radio or sign up for our newsletter at boomerandthebabe.com. Email us at host at boomerandthebabe.com with any of your comments. Remember, at 50, you're just getting started. 